Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft Podcast, presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and the bowl season, it is here. It is time for some postseason college football. We've got plenty of news to get through uh, as we get ready for the college football postseason. We'll start things off with Saturday Scouting, where we're just going to do a little bit of a reset with Dane Brugler. He's here to talk through a lot of the breaking news we've seen that have been prospect-focused over the last week or so. We're going to go through Senior Bowl news, Shrine Bowl news. Also, got to take stock of the underclassmen that have officially entered the 2023 NFL Draft, who and this is, we're going to go off a list that is supplied by NFL.com. All the players that we have not already hit on in the show that have made their intentions know, uh, known and plan to enter uh, next year's draft, next spring's draft. So we'll go through all of that with Dane Brugler. We'll also talk about who we've ta- watched on film here over the last week or so. Then we've got On the Clock. Gabriella DiGiovanni is here uh, once again to host our weekly debate segment. This week's topic, we're going to talk through some defensive line play. So stay tuned for that conversation. After that, Ben Solak from The Ringer, longtime uh, friend of the show. He is is going to jump on uh, for our Under the Hood segment. We're going to talk with Ben about the construction of a viable wide receiver one. What does it mean to be a wide receiver one? What is the value of a wide receiver one in today's NFL? We're going to get into that. It's a hot topic, obviously, around the league. So we're going to get into that at the end of the show. As always, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question, Leave it there in the comment box. We will get to it in an upcoming show. Last week, Ben Fennell and I did a full, thorough breakdown of one of our listeners' mock drafts. They went in and did a full mock draft, round one, and we went pick by pick and broke it down. So if you want us to do that for you, all you have to do, jump onto our Apple Podcast page, leave that in the comment box, and we will do it here in an upcoming episode. Hey, if you don't want to do all 32 teams, you want to just do the Eagles or whoever your favorite team is, leave that too. We will break it down. We'll break down player rankings, any question you've got about a prospect, leave it there, and we will get to it in an upcoming episode. That said, let's get things started. It's time now for Saturday Scouting with Dane Brugler. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's start the show off here with Saturday Scouting as I welcome in Dane Brugler for uh, some draft buzz to start things off here, Dane. We've got underclassmen announcements rolling in. And again, uh, as I said at the top of the show, this is a list that you and I will go off of. Uh, this is over at NFL.com. It's a, basically the, the article is just a bunch of links to these players tweeting out uh, official statements saying that they are entering the 2023 NFL draft. And we will start at quarterback where Stanford's Tanner McKee, who is a redshirt junior, I believe, or no, he's a redshirt sophomore, uh, but he's one of those guys, he took a mission for a couple years and so he was actually eligible last year as a redshirt freshman since he was uh, a couple years removed from high school uh, but Tanner McKee from Stanford what do you what do you uh, see from him moving over moving forward into the NFL yeah he uh spent two years in Brazil um you know Church of Latter-day Saints. I mean, his religion's a big part of his identity as as a person and something he cares about a lot um to highly recruited and even though all these teams knew he was going on the mission Alabama still wanted him. Um, a lot of teams were were hot on his tail. He decides to go to Stanford. Uh, you know, played behind Davis Mills, and then last two years has been uh, the starter. And you know, there's things to like about him operating in NFL pro style offense. Uh, I really like his accuracy. Really like his touch on fades on outs. Um, you know, he's very efficient with his footwork. Um, but when things are out of rhythm, that's where you worry about him. He's not a mobile guy. He's not someone that's going to create on a consistent basis. So there's just not a lot of second chance plays on tape with Tanner McKee and that, that worries you. So, you know, is this guy, 
Is he Mike Glennon or can he be a Matt Ryan? You know, I, I think the the truth lies somewhere in between those two players, uh, those two quarterbacks and those two styles of quarterback. So um, it would be interesting to try to figure him out the rest of the way. From a like physical and like mechanical standpoint, like he throws it like Matt Ryan, like the way he like the way that he moves mm-hmm. and the way that he throws it really reminds me of Matt Ryan. Um, and that was a name I wrote down, but obviously not a guy we're going to be talking about drafted quite as high. There are some people that feel like he will be. I, I don't think uh, that will be the case here in 2023. Uh, let's go now to running back right. where uh, Devin Achain from Texas A&M Undersized, 5'9", 185, uh, has been moved around the formation. Some running back, some slot receiver, but this guy is electric. He's got legitimate track speed, and that shows up on film. I can't wait to see what he weighs it at. I mean, he's listed at 185, uh, which obviously is a a red flag uh, for a a running back. But can he get up to, or maybe he already is, you know, 190, 195. You know, that's we're talking about. Chris Johnson territory or CJ Spiller guys that were both first round picks and had plenty of success in the league. Achen can, can be that uh, his speed is just, it's instant first of all. And then it's just, it's different. And it, it's not like, you know, it's a big time track guy. A lot of track guys struggle to uh, patch together these moves. Uh, you know, that start stop ability. He doesn't have that problem. He will string together his moves really efficiently um, I, and you know, I, I, what I really liked from him this year too, was catching the ball out of the backfield. That was a big, uh, role that he, that he added this year. So, you know, the workload went up with Isaiah Spiller, um, off to the NFL. He was able to do that comfortably. He got hurt a little bit, uh, early. I think it was against Florida. The second half he got yeah. hurt. It, it, I think a lot of running backs, especially that A&M with the season they're having would have shut it down. He came back and had a career game against LSU in the final game. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot to like about a chain. I, I don't know. You know, unless you're just totally scared off by the size, I don't know why you wouldn't draft this guy in the first two rounds. I think it's going to be a similar kind of question, albeit at a different position for North Carolina's Josh Downs, who uh, has been a slot receiver primarily throughout the course of his career with the Tar Heels. 5'10", 171 is what he's listed at in the bio. Uh, I wrote down a couple players. I wrote down K.J. Hamler. I wrote down Dexter McCluster mm. while, while watching him here this summer. I really liked him. I thought that he had uh, – he was not just like a gadget player. I thought that he uh, did a really nice job of changing his pacing through the route. Uh, I thought he flashed really good ball skills. He's got top-end speed. Uh, I was really impressed. Uh, with this kid and obviously there will be uh, limitations based off the size but I really like Josh Downs and he's going to be in this class yeah I, you know he's almost like a maybe a smaller version of Jahan Dotson uh, you know because he's it, it, it's it's not just athleticism and speed he understands uh, like you said pacing he understands how to find the blind spot of uh, of corners um, he's got a bigger catch radius than I than I thought you know that really for most uh, receivers his size uh, that that ability to controls acceleration just plays with the DBs. It, it, it's a really fun thing to watch. So one on one, a tough guy to cover can work all three levels. He's just a small target, and you know he will have some focus drops here and there. But um, you know it's uh, he, he's not a a lock first round pick because of that size. But I, I think if a team gets him in the second round, I, I think he can absolutely prove to be a, a steal at that point. Let's stay in the ACC. Dontavian Wicks at wide receivers, just under six foot two, over two hundred pounds. He's got outstanding length. Uh, really impressive in terms of his straight line juice. He's a long strider. He can attack all three levels of the field. But I really like him down the field, Dane. What, what do you think of Dontavian Wicks? Yeah, Senior Bowl guy. I'm, I'm eager to see him in one on ones down there in Mobile um, because he he can shake press. He can get on top of routes, uh, win down the field. 
Um, I, and I think the biggest thing I want to see with him is just being more consistent at the catch point. Too many drops, uh, especially when he tries the body catch. Happens way too much on his film. So I've, I've seen him make athletic uh, plays on the ball and make these acrobatic grabs. But too often he reverts back to uh, you know just the the focus issue. So being consistent uh, both with his routes and then finishing that that's what I want to see from him. If he's able to do that at the Senior Bowl, he, he was he's going to help himself in a big way because he's got a lot of the tools you look for. Two wide receivers that I have not done. And should to get your thoughts here. Parker Washington from Penn State. I remember back in the summer, we did our Big Ten preview, and, and uh, Ben Fennell said that uh, he liked him as the best receiver in the Big Ten. Like, And I was talking about even uh, with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Really, really high praise there on Parker Washington. And then Jaden Hazelwood um, from Arkansas, who I know is headed to the Shrine Bowl as a uh, under, underclassman declaration. Uh, what do you think of Washington and Hazelwood? Yeah, and remember, Hazelwood was a big, big-time recruit. We went to Oklahoma. Uh, things just didn't materialize there. And then instead of going to USC with his quarterback and his head coach, he goes to Arkansas. And, you know, you see the size. Um, you, you see athletic ability. So the Shrine game, that would be a big opportunity for him to kind of show all those skills. Uh, with Parker Washington, he's he has the mentality of like a running back playing wide receiver. The, the run strength, the balance after the catch – um, you know, it's he's low, tough, balanced. So you see a lot of uh, rack on, on his tape. Fearless attacking the catch point. Uh, a great job with hesitation. Uh, so he can, uh, you know, get that extra separation before the catch, but then also after the catch too. Uh, throw on the Ohio State tape. And I mean, it was, uh, you know, the other tape's a little consistent. Ohio State tape, I mean, he looked like a, a guy that wants to be a you know top 75 pick. Um, not the biggest guy. We'll see what he runs. But again, I keep going back to that Ohio State tape. That's something that uh, is surely going to help him when teams start to build their boards. Tight end class officially gets a boost here uh, with these two announcements here, Dane. I know you're high on both players. Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State, you think has a chance uh, to go on the back end of round one. And so uh, take us through what both declarations mean here for this draft. Yeah, no surprise to Michael Mayer. Um, now, I, I really like him, although I am surprised he's being talked about top 10. And yeah, I've right. heard a yep. lot of people... I mean, it's just it, it, he's not going to run great. I mean, he's not this um, you know big time athlete. He's not a bad athlete by any means, but that's just not how he wins. Um, you know, he but he is one of the better contested catch tight ends we've seen. I think in, in the last few years, he's just so good using his body, the ball skills, the uh, hand eye coordination. Um, so he's not sudden. But there's no wasted movements either uh, as a route runner. Um, everything he does is natural, and that's what you love to see. There's no straining with him. Um, and, and you think about all the tight ends that that program has produced over the years, and he holds every single tight end record. Uh, and he did it in three years. So um, as a blocker, he's not a uh, you know above average blocker, but he's not below average either. He connects in the run game. Uh, you want to see better sustained, but I, I think he does a nice job there. So this isn't like. Gronk 2.0, or I don't think he has the athletic tools to be a Travis Kelsey. He's not on that level, but he can still be a really quality tight end and a guy that just doesn't have a lot of weaknesses. So, um, I, you know, I know in my mock draft, Adam going in the early 20s, I would be surprised if he went in the top half of round one. I, like, I understand he's a quote unquote safe, you know, prospect, but I, I just, I'd be surprised if he went that high. We just haven't seen a high hit rate on tight ends drafted that early. So uh, we'll see. Time will tell. But, yeah, he's a good player. And then with Tucker Craft, uh, you know, he declared, but he's still playing. South Dakota State's still alive. So if you want to check him out, 
Um, I think they play Montana State this upcoming weekend so, in the yep. FCS semifinals. Yep. So uh, go check him out. Uh, he's it's funny watching the game against uh, Holy Cross on Saturday. He was being triple covered like the entire every single route that he ran. Now it, it just Holy Cross knew. Okay, this guy is a dude. We're going to do whatever we can to take him out of it. And so uh, you know he didn't have a, a big uh, statistical game, but you see what he's doing to that defense and drawing coverage. So um, you know there's a lot to like from a size speed standpoint. Uh, there's a lot of things that you know you, you see tr- translating to the next level. He has yet to play his best football. I kind of wonder if the uh, the discussion around Michael Mayer won't be similar to where it was with Pat Fryermuth coming out of Penn State a couple years ago, where mm-hmm. uh, at the yeah, same yeah. point, like it was like, oh, first round pick, fat, Pat Fryermuth, Pat Fryermuth, round one, round one, round yeah. one, and then we got closer and closer to the draft, and everyone kind of accepted, oh, he's probably more of like an early to mid two, and he's been really good for mm-hmm. Pittsburgh so far. That's not even a knock on Fryermuth, but just a reality of the value of the position, as you mentioned. So uh, we'll see what happens there with That's both of those for, players. It, it, well, yeah, everybody's saying that he's, or you know, those who are saying he's a top ten pick. Who do you compare him to? You know, right. where where is the the value there? Like, if I told you he's a a not as dynamic version of Mark Andrews, you know, is that worth a top ten pick? You know, it's just it's I, I, using those comparisons to what how he's going to translate. I, I think will give you a better idea of his value. Honestly, it's the it's one of the things that I've most tried to do over the last few years is just been having mm-hmm. understanding of and that's that's where comps can be so valuable. It's like, all right, well, if you think that's what this player is, then. You know, that, that's got to help determine on where you think he should be drafted at the end of the day. Uh, let's go offensive line here. Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, Joe Tipman from Wisconsin. I've done Harrison, have not done Tipman. What are your thoughts on both players? Yeah, Tipman, I think uh, we've seen you know, quite a few Wisconsin um, guys come out here uh, in the last few weeks uh, as they make a changing at the guard at, yep. the, at the coaching position. Jim Leonard out and um, – uh, Coach Fickle in. So, uh, Tipman, you know, I think he's a lot of things you, you could say just copy and paste your typical Wisconsin lineman toughness. Um, you know, I think he has a chance to be probably a mid round pick. Um, you know, this is a center class that could use a little bit of help. Um, you know, depending on how you or what you think of John Michael Schmitz or Alex Forsyth, uh, Ricky Stromberg. Um, I don't think any of those three are locks to be top 100 picks. And so you add a guy like Tipman in the mix. I think he's, he's right there. Um, not a, you know, a day two lock, but a guy that's going to com- com- compete to be a mid rounder. Um, and then with Anton Harrison, I'll, I'll hold off a little bit because, uh, um, I'm going to talk about him in our film room Ooh, recap, like okay. but, uh, I'll, I'll be interested to hear, you know, how, what, what, what you think of, of him and what you think his ceiling is. Cause that's what he is now and what yep. he showed at Oklahoma depend and, you know, what you think of what his ceiling will be are obviously two very different things. I think that right now, the because look, I and I actually have not watched even just from this fall. I will say I watched over the summer, and this is where the, he, he was being talked about as a first round, you know, potential top 15 pick um, back in the summer. He was a, a freakless guy going into last season. Um, he, he's a big time recruit coming out, as you would expect, uh, at the University of Oklahoma. And uh, just a lot of things from a technical standpoint that need to get corrected, right? Just a, a lot of hand mm-hmm. usage things. Um, habitually late out of his stance. He would take multiple steps to get going, not a super explosive uh, out of his stance moving forward. Um, you know, just a lot of hand usage stuff that needs to get worked on without getting too deep into the nitty gritty. Um, didn't have a lot of proven ver- uh, positional versatility, just a lot of questions, but 
you could not, there's a lot uh, that you could knock on him for. You can't question the upside, and I think that will be the big yeah. discussion there with Anton Harrison. Um, and that was a good breakdown there on Joe Tipman. I'm excited to dig into his film a little bit deeper. Let's go defensive side now. Javon Dexter from Florida was a guy, Dane, that I was super, super high on coming into the mm-hmm. year. Um, the, the flashes were outstanding. Have not done him again off this off the tape yet this fall. Um, but what have you seen from uh, Javon Dexter? Has, has anything changed based? Because I think you and I saw him pretty similarly back in the summer. Uh, yeah. have, have you uh, cooled off on him at all? What are your thoughts on Dexter? Yeah, I remember talking uh, back in August about him with you and just the how excited we were for the upside. But I don't think we really saw it materialize this year. Um, I, I think it's really a tale of two different players. When he utilizes those long levers. Where, you know, because he's a six six lineman, when he can use that length so he can leverage contact, shed, work off uh, blocks, he's a completely different player than when he just do- you know, forgets that he has those long arms and he doesn't use them properly. And, and it's just it's a tale of two different players. And um, it's just can he be more consistent in that area? Because you see a, a guy with uh, his size, with body flexibility, uh, you know, the way that he can uproot centers when he attacks with that upward motion, drives his feet. Um, you know, he can work different gaps. You, you see a guy that could be a, a poor man's Chris Jones, but at the, he's routinely laid off the snap. Uh, you know, he, he has a really tough time with double teams can, you know, especially when he gets his, his pad level high. Uh, it's just an inconsistent player. And so, um, you know, I could show you, uh, you know, his five best plays and you think, oh, yeah, this guy, you know, he's a first round pick all day. But the body of work from week to week is just very inconsistent. And that that worries you. So I know he just uh, just had a son, uh, Gervon Jr. So, you know, I, I think it was expected that he would uh, declare. But safe to say, he's just not a not a finished product at this point, and you know that makes his projection a little a little difficult. Because I can understand why you'd want to bet on the upside and the flashes, but I also understand some of the trepidation with. Is he going to get there? Is he ever going to live up to that immense potential that he has? Yep. I tend to be more forgiving for flashes, like inconsistency on defense as opposed to offense. Um, but I think mm. that, uh, and that's just kind of a philosophical thing on my end, but I, I'm I'm fascinated to go back and dig through this year's film. I, I said back in the summer, he really reminded me of Muhammad Wilkerson, who was a first-round pick, a guy that I was around mm. uh, on a daily basis at Temple uh, when I worked there. And, and he is, um, I think Dexter is really, really, really gifted. Uh couple of other uh, hybrid-type players up front. Colby Wooden from Auburn has played both end and tackle. MJ Anderson from Iowa State has a similar kind of body type as well. Yeah, and Anderson is just a – he gives you – it's a long day when you're going up against him for blockers. Like He just gives you so much on every single snap. Um, the competitive toughness, uh, it, it's uh, – uh, you know, and, and when watching Iowa State, it was always it's a Will McDonald, Will McDonald, Will McDonald. Uh, you know, and he's a – Will McDonald's a special athlete – uh, especially for that size, but I, I tell you what, with uh, with Anderson, there, there's something there, um, and, and I, I think that he was not a guy we've been talking a lot about. Just you know, but him declaring, um, you know, I think he could make some noise uh, with Colby Wooden. He's interesting because he, I don't know that he's like I don't see him ever making a Pro Bowl, but I just know I want him on my team. Yeah. And whether you know he's going to line up on the edge, he can line up inside. Um, you know, he's, he was 230 pounds when he got there at Auburn and he worked his tail off to sculpt his body, add good weight, um, you know, really change things. And, you know, I, I talking, I know talking to people at Auburn, they just raved about this guy, the work mm. ethic, 
um, everything that he brings. Um, and just he's a durable, dependable player, going to give you everything that he has. So from an intangible standpoint, from a, a versatility standpoint, and then also he he has talent. So I, I, I mean, I, I think that he'll go somewhere top 75 and just be a really solid rotational piece for a lot of years. Real quick, I have a comp on him. I want to run bio. I don't know if you've if you and I have talked about it. Uh, Draymond Jones, when he was coming out of Ohio State, uh, I thought a similar mm-hmm. kind of body type and skill set. Um, there were questions about Jones, so a lot of those, like uh, the intangible stuff that you brought to light uh, with Wooden. Mm-hmm. Um, Wooden, uh, it's great to hear that that's how he's regarded in the building because I, I really like the talent on film. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, that, that is not one I wrote down, but I could see where you'd make the parallels there. Uh, linebacker Drew Sanders from Arkansas. If you're not driving the bus for Drew Sanders, like you're riding shotgun, uh, I know that you you had yeah. him on the, in your first round mock. He was in your big board. Uh, what do you think on Drew Sanders? Yeah, I mean he's just a, a special player. And I mean, going back to, um, I, and he's been groomed for this. Like his dad is a longtime high school coach. They grew up in uh, Oregon, uh, where his dad was a was a big time uh, head coach out there, high school head coach. They moved to Texas, where bounced around a little bit because he would take take a job and then he'd uh, get promoted, go to another job, um, you know, as an assistant head coach. And, um, you know, he played a lot of quarterback, played some linebacker, uh, goes to Alabama. And he was, you know, Nick Saban, uh, he he was ready to start and then he got hurt. And then he basically didn't want to, uh, I don't know if it was hurt feelings or what, but he decided to transfer. And Nick Saban had nothing but positive things to say. He said it was just an injury. Like, I don't know why he's leaving. We love him. We think he's great. Um, but he transferred to Arkansas and I mean, I say it worked out okay because <laughs> over a hundred tackles led the team in tackles for a loss, led the team in sacks. Um, I mean, he was all over and he's in that mold of, you know, like, 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 and I think Ben mentioned this, uh, like a Troy Anderson in terms yeah. of yep. the athletic tools, the, just having a, a, you know, that a little lean body type, but he has some length to him. Um, you know, he has, can play an edge rush position, can play standing up as a mic. Um, you know, so there's just. The thing that worries me is there's too many quote unquote almost tackles on his on his film where, you know, he's there, he makes contact, just wasn't able to finish, but he's consistently in the right place and the athletic tools are there. So, I mean, he's going to go high. It's just a matter of does he go first round? Does he go early second? Um, But yeah, he's a good player. A ton of corners here, which is like a, that's routine, par for the course. Every single year this happens. So we've got a, a handful of guys that are universally viewed as first-round picks. Christian Gonzalez mm-hmm. from Oregon, Cam Smith from South Carolina, Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State. Uh, all three guys, just quick elevator speeches. You and I have talked about uh, all three of these players throughout the course of the season. Yeah, I remember texting you back in July when I watched Christian Gonzalez for the first time and yeah. saying like, hey, legit, we, 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 we got a guy here. And I remember a couple of weeks later, you text me back. Yep, he's pretty good. Like <laughs> maybe corner number one, good. Um, and so I think yeah, we we see him pretty similar. Gonzalez is a, is a big time player. Um, yeah, Cam Smith. You see, you know, maybe it's just the the jersey playing tricks on me, but you do see a lot of uh, similar things with uh, with J.C. Horn. Yep. We made him a first round pick. That physical nature, that aggressiveness, that will get him in trouble at times. But you know, you you want to see that from them. Um, I don't think he's a very technically sound player, and that will be exposed at times. So, um, you know, it's something that he needs to get better at, but a lot of tools that you want to bet on. Uh, Joey Porter Jr., uh, you know, if he's corner one for some teams, I don't think that'd be shocking. I mean, he has um, an athletic profile that you like, the size, the length. Um, I I think he did a better job. Now, he still will get some penalties, but I think he's done a better job cutting down on those good ball skills. Um, So, yeah, a lot of things that he does uh, will translate to the next level. Um, Emmanuel Forbes. Yep. uh, You know, he's... 
Yeah, I mean, he he's uh, a, a ball hawk. I mean, he finds the football. He freelances maybe a little too much, um, but he he's a guy that uh, you know he, he you kind of trust him to do that because uh, a lot of times it ends up with a, a turnover or um, you know him making a play on the ball. So um, he'll be an interesting study. I don't know that he's a lock for the top fifty, but there's a lot of things that you could say. Okay, yeah, that that'll translate. I could see why you want to take him that high. He's got the is it the career record for like most pick sixes in NCAA history or something like that. Yeah, it's five or six. I can't remember. But yeah, it's I mean, it's and that doesn't happen by accident. Right. I mean, it's maybe a little bit of luck involved. But I mean, at some point, you got to tip your cap and say, OK, yeah, you know what you're doing out there to do it more than anybody in the history of the sport. There's a lot of DBs that have played uh, college football. Right. I think that's uh, there's something there. Uh, two quarters I haven't done. Jalen Jones, Texas A&M, Deontay Banks from Maryland. I know you've got eyes for as well. I'm a big fan of Banks. One of my one of my favorite players um, in terms of relative where he's going to be drafted. Um, I, I think he could end up being uh, maybe even a top 100 player. I, I think that highly of him. With Jalen Jones, he's so tough uh, because you know he missed some time, came back, um, doesn't have a ton of ball production, but he's he's so big that I mean you, you know he, he's going to get uh, a lot of attention. Let me see what I've got him listed out here. Um, bu- 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 six two two oh five, okay. and he looks I mean, he looks almost bigger than that. Um, so you you like the size, but. Um, you know, there are a lot of times where, you know, he's just the, the spacing is off with, you know, his relationship to routes. Um, you know, he's not anticipating what the route combinations are doing. Uh, he, he gets a little too physical. So he's just a, a very raw player. If you take him strictly based off of size, speed traits, yeah, you take him first round. But when you factor in, I think just how raw and undeveloped he is. That's where you start to worry a little bit and say, okay, well, maybe, you know, it's, you know, when, when is he going to be able to get on the field for us? When are we going to be able to trust him? Um, so a lot of ability, just not a proven player at this point, And that kind of clouds his projection a little bit. Uh, safety, Ronnie Hickman, Ohio State. You and I have not talked about him, I don't think. Uh, I studied him in the summer, and I thought he was well-rounded. I didn't see like an A trait anywhere, mm-hmm. but I didn't see like a huge, huge weakness either. Uh, what are your thoughts on Hickman? Yeah, I think that that's that's a fair way to to uh, sum him up. I, I think he's you know finds the quickest route from A to B as a tackler. I, I think he takes pretty good angles, um, wide base, low pads as a tackler. Not um, you know he he's got a good size, not a lot of bulk on on his on his frame, but he's got a good sized body, um, and I think he's a good athlete. You see him pedal, redirect, drive. Um, so you know there are things that um, you know you worry about as well. I think he takes some chances in coverage that you'd rather him maybe not do. I, I, he needs to do a better job close to the line of scrimmage, uh, you know, with his hands to get off blocks, make plays. So I mean, I agree with you. I think he's just a, a, a rock solid player who will at least be able to compete for starting reps. You know, in his first few years in the league, um, I, I think I you know have him in the third, fourth round range. Um, so he's just he's just a solid player. So we'll, that's it for the underclass, and we'll continue to update that list and talk through new players as they uh, continue to make their attentions known officially. Let's now go to the Senior Bowl. We've had a handful of additions over the weekend, last few days here, Dane. Three tight ends, Davis Allen from Clemson, Will Mallory from Miami, and Cameron Latu from Alabama. Uh, my, my quick elevator speech on a couple of these guys. So Davis Allen, he was like a heavily featured part of that pass game, and I don't know that that's going to be how he's viewed in the NFL. I, he's It's almost like Hickman where – uh, 
I don't know that there's an A trait, but he chips in everywhere. I love the versatility there. He can line up inside uh, in, or in line. He can line up out wide. He can put it be put in the slot. I don't think he's like a plus plus athlete, but does enough. And he no, he doesn't put the ball on the ground. He competes as a blocker. I think he can do a little bit of everything. I just don't know that you're looking at like a pure tight end one. Uh, Will Mallory, a move a move piece for Miami. Um, I like his ability down the seam. He made some great catches. He'll drop a couple here and there, but uh, I think the movement skills uh, will really be- benefit him. And then Cameron Latu, we've seen him uh, over the last couple of years as a starter with the Crimson Tide. Uh, more of, a, of an inside player, but I think uh, you know the, the drops have been a little bit of an issue for him as well. So uh, your thoughts on those three tight end additions? Yeah, I think that all makes sense. Yeah, with, I remember Will Mallory, um, it feels like three, four years ago, um, you know, seeing him and making plays and thinking, okay, this guy down the line is going to be someone. And, you know, I know he's been banged up a little bit, um, but I just, for a guy with his athleticism, I expected more after the catch. Um, and I agree, too many drops on film as a blocker, he's mediocre. Um, I, Davis Allen, I was surprised a little bit that he got the nod. I I, I really like this tight end class, um, even these seniors. But to see him get um, a senior bowl nod over, say, like a Luke Schoonmaker from mm. Michigan, um, that that like that surprises me. Um, and, and that's nothing against um, you know Davis Allen. I just I, I think there are better tight ends. Uh, and because I agree, I don't necessarily see a tight end one uh, with Davis Allen. He's just he's a he's an average player. Um, and, and with Cameron Law too, uh, you know, I think he maybe maybe one of the more consistent pass catchers that Bryce Young had this year, which. Isn't saying a whole lot, right, but yep. uh, it, it seemed like you know when Bryce Young was in trouble, he would look for number eighty-one. Uh, that would be a little bit of his uh, safety blanket there. Um, it, he's not fast, but he's not slow either. Um, got decent speed, coordinated athlete. Um, I, I think he does adjust nicely to throws that are a little bit off his body. Uh, but I think you're right; he more drops than you want to see. Um, he does a really nice job catching the ball in stride simultaneously, you know, turning, making the catch, getting his eyes up feel. Um, and then as a blocker, you see physical hands, um, you see him get to the second level, engage linebackers, um, and and just be, uh, you know, smooth in that area. So, um, I, I don't think you're going to see him just dominate as an inline blocker, especially in the run game. He doesn't have that, that upper body strength to control defenders, but, um, you know, I, I think that he does do, uh, you know, some solid things in that area that makes you think, okay, you know, he's at least not going to embarrass us out there. Uh, let's go to Alabama, his teammate uh, there with the Crimson Tide, Tyler Steen, offensive lineman. What are your thoughts on Steen? Yeah, the well, Vanderbilt transfer, right? Um, you know, comes in this year, uh, goes in at left tackle, replaces Evan Neal, and uh, you see, it was a little bit up and down. Um, you know, you see a guy that Moves well off the snap, gets proper depth so he can close space for pass rushers. Where he gets himself in trouble is when he he, he tends to lunge with his upper half. And so the foundation of his pass pro it just tends to break down too quickly. And, and so I think that he needs to do a better job just with his feet, repositioning himself um, so he can anchor down versus length versus power, staying patient. Um, and you know, just being, just being more consistent in that area. So, um, I, you know, I, I think if he can shore up some of these, uh, consistency issues, he, he can, you know, make a roster and, you know, carve out a nice career for himself just needs to, you know, uh, get, get a little more consistent with, uh, some of the technical aspects of the position. Going over to the defensive side, two impressive pass rushers here, Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame. You and I have talked about here on the pod, uh, potential first round pick. And then Andre Carter, the third, we talked about with Ross Tucker, uh, last week, there are certainly two to work with with Carter not a finished product mm-hmm. yet but another potential top 100 player 
Yeah, and you love Foskey for really two reasons. Uh, the speed that he plays with and, and the motor that he plays with. I mean, both those things you you can trust him to bring to the field every single snap. And, and that's a great place to start. Um, now, I, I wish that you know he had you know his pass rush plan he relies so much on that long arm move i, I wish that he was able to uh, diversify a little bit more in terms of his rush plan um you know it, trying to work in secondary moves to uh keep blockers off balance um and so uh you know th- there's some things about his pass rush that i'm just not completely sold on and that's why i do think there's a good chance even though he's got double digit sacks the last two years uh, you know, he's, I don't think he's a lock to be a top 50 pick this year, uh, because of those question marks, but I can understand why you'd be optimistic about what he could grow into. Um, uh, you know, you could throw in the Syracuse tape and watch him, you know, uh, be stride for stride with Sean Tucker down the field on a wheel route. He has that type of, uh, type of speed to his game. So a lot to like with Isaiah Foskey and then with Andre Carter. Yeah. It's just a matter of, okay, get him into our program. Let's continue adding weight to him. Um, you know, he's, I think he's really raw, especially in the run game, but uh, as a foundational uh, or as a developmental pass rusher, he's got a lot of the foundational pieces that you're looking for with that length, with that speed, with that athleticism. And so, you know, I don't think Carter, really Carter or Foskey to me, aren't like first round locks, but once you get on day two, I could understand at any point why you'd want to invest a day two pick in, in either one of these guys when you think about where they're going to be a year from now, two years from now in their development at the next level. Yeah, I think I feel a little bit better early, you know, probably throughout uh, with Foskey just because of what he can do against the run, right? I have those questions about Andre Carter at this point um, and whether or not he can even get, if he will get there, but uh, you can't question the toughness. I, I think Ross really summed it up best uh, talking about him last week, so you can go check out that conversation for all of our listeners that uh, missed that from last week here on the podcast. Uh, defensive tackle DJ Dale from Alabama, uh, another guy, he's played a bunch of football for Alabama, one of those players that uh, came into that defensive line and started and got uh, key snaps as a freshman uh what's his skill set is he more three technique nose tackle uh seems to me he's more of the former or more of the latter right yeah you want him playing close to uh close to the ball close to the center uh you know playing that nose playing that that the shade um yeah he's i think he's a smart run defender um you know with the way that uh you know he he plays his gaps with the way that uh you know he peeks into the backfield understands what the what the backfield action is doing and what he needs to do for his responsibilities. So he'll put himself in position uh, to 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 make plays. And you know he's not going to give you a ton as a pass rusher, but he he's he's just a rock solid player. And I you know I think Byron Young, who we've talked about before, uh, Alabama uh, defensive tackle, he's a, a day two player. DJ Dale more of a day three player. Uh, but the value is a little bit different with what they offer. Uh, let's go to the secondary here. Tyreek Stevenson from Miami, one of the more intriguing players, I think, from this group. Uh, I actually th- mm. thought he reminded me a little bit of Trayvon Diggs. He didn't have, like, the ball production, but uh, in terms of, like, the skill set, the way he's built, the way he runs, uh, the, the aggression downhill, the way he does, like, look for the ball, he just didn't have the 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 production that uh, mm-hmm. that, 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 uh, that Diggs has. But I think when you look at Stevenson, there's a lot to like. Georgia transfer, he's been at Miami these last two years. Yeah, and he'll play inside, play outside. Yeah, yep. um, a, a lot, a, a lot of man coverage, but you know, does play some zone. Uh, he's got the athleticism to to stay in phase, uh, ride that hip of the outside receiver, and and really make him uncomfortable down the field. So, um, I, I, I think what something else I noticed with him, very minimal yak on his tape. So even when he does surrender a catch, uh, it, it he's able to limit it. So not a big play, you know, not, a, not an explosive play, maybe a. Uh, longer catch than you would like, but he does limit those uh, explosives. Um, but I, I do think that you you 
while you wish there were higher numbers uh, in terms of ball production, he will play through the hands of receivers. There was a Southern mistape where he had a, a really nice um, you know, pass breakup where he is, you know, uh, gave up a little bit of the window, but he finished through the hands of, of the receiver and was able to break it up. So um, there, there's a lot to like about uh, this, the size speed profile, the athletic traits. Um, I, I'm eager to see him in, uh, in mobile because coming into the year, we thought this guy could be, the number one senior uh, corner. Yeah. And I still think that 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 that's up for grabs right now. I don't think there's one senior corner that you point to and say, oh yeah, it's definitely this guy. Uh, two safeties uh, heading to Mobile. DeMarco Hellams from Alabama. We've talked about him a little bit here on the show. And then Jay Ward from LSU. I've not done Ward. I have done Hellams, though. He kind of reminded me of a former yeah. second-round pick. Didn't work out in the NFL. Uh, remember uh, Jordan Richards when he was coming out of Stanford? He went to the, the Patriots in the uh, in the second yeah, round. Bill yeah, Bill Belichick. Yeah, Bill Belichick. DeMarco Hellams kind of reminds me of Jordan Richards. It, uh, the spatial awareness, mm. the, the angles he takes to the football, the way he tracks it downfield. He's not a plus athlete, um, but I, I like the play personality uh, Helms uh, I kind of liked the player but I think you're just going to question the ceiling but I, I did like what I saw from him on tape so I want to get your thoughts on Helms and then Ward that'll wrap up the senior bowl guys yeah with Helms you you wish he was a little bit bigger he's uh, he just doesn't have that uh that that frame that you ideally look yeah. for uh but he's he's a good open field tackler uh very aggressive downfield there are times in coverage where, you know, especially uh, if, you, if you leave him alone with Jalen Hyatt, it's not going to be pretty. So you see the lack of speed there, but he is he's a good player. I, I think that he's going to play in the league for a while. And then uh, with Jay Ward, um, you know, I, that LSU secondary has got a few guys that, you know, keeping close tabs on. I really like the way Ward will attack blocks downhill. Um, he's a very good tackler. He'll target the hip and belt buckle and, and really finish through contact. Um, he's got decent speed. He will chase down plays that really he has no business making. Um, where I worry about him a little bit is in coverage. He'll give up a little too much space to uh, even not, not just receivers, but tight ends. I think he needs to so, uh, show better situational awareness in terms of anticipating, okay, it's, you know, third and eight. Let's not let this uh, tight end run eight yards. Let's understand what he's trying to do out there. Um, and, and so just uh, understanding some, you know, different things in coverage uh, is something he needs to get better at if he wants to stick at the league. All right, let's go to uh, the Shrine Bowl. We've got six names here. Wide receiver Antoine Green from North Carolina. He's been on the radar for the last couple of years. Good athlete, but uh, some finishing that's going to be needed there in terms of his ability to finish at the catch point, route running, all that. So uh, Antoine Green, the athletic specimen, I think there's something there to work with. Defensive tackle Kobe Turner from Wake Forest, only a one-year player there. He was on all the watch lists a year ago for the work that he did at the University of Richmond. So went to Wake Forest, followed that up, strong year in the ACC with the step up in conversation or in uh, competition. Now he He's headed to Las Vegas for the Shrine Bowl. I know you and I both want to talk about uh, Habakkuk Baldonado, the pass rusher from Pitt. Mm -hmm. uh, Dane, I did him in the summer. Uh, he's got a cool cool background, grew up in Italy. Uh, there's a, a lot of like the athletic exploits are, are really interesting. Um, he kind of reminds me of Sam Hubbard uh, when Hubbard was coming out of Ohio State. Uh, and if that's what you're kind of banking on, Hubbard is turning into a nice a nice piece for this Bengals defense. Mm -hmm. um, if, you're, if you think he could be that, you could potentially see what Hubbard was, which was a, a late day two pick. Um, but I don't know if he's quite there yet. And in this edge rush class, he might kind of fall through the cracks. But uh, Baldonado is an intriguing player. He is. and He's got a projectable body. Yep. I, I really like his hand strength. Um, I mean, you'll see him. You could throw on the tape and – I think it was maybe Tennessee where he's just tossing tight ends. Um, I, I like his, his motor. Um, he, he does a really nice job playing through the snap. 
uh, or uh, through the whistle. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just don't see a, a, a big time athlete. I, I think he's very average in terms of his speed. Like, I don't, I don't see him making plays from the backside. I don't see him chasing down plays. Um, you know, I, he needs to do a little bit je- better job with his ID skills, um, you know, locating backside pulls and, um, you know, those different things. So I, I agree with you. He's not there yet, but I'm also not as high on him as an athlete. Yep. And so I think he's more in that, in that late round discussion for me. And then we got a, a trio of DBs here. We've got Jaden Woodby from uh, Boston College, the lone safety we'll talk about, and then Sheridan Jones, a senior corner from Clemson. Both of those guys heading to Vegas. But let's talk through Makai Gardner from LSU, uh, transferred out from uh, Louisiana, stayed in state, mm-hmm. uh, and ended up with the Bayou Bengals there. Yeah, instead of going with uh, his teammate Osiris Torrance and head coach over to Florida, stayed in state. Um, he's a big kid. Um, and for a guy with that size, I think he runs pretty well. Uh, does a nice job, uh, you know, turning and running, uh, and looking for the football. Um, I uses that length really well, uh, good toughness in the run game. Um, uh, you know, there were, uh, there, there were a few times where, uh, the tackling effort maybe leaves you uh, a little disappointed, um, you know, gives up a little more yards than you like to see. So you want you want to see better tackling mechanics from him. But I think I think the toughness is there. It's just he needs to be more consistent. Um, and, and so he's a guy that I think, uh, you know, if he ends up being drafted in you know the fourth, fifth round, I could absolutely see him outplaying that spot. Yeah, it's an interesting player, and he's been on the radar for a couple of years for what he's done uh, at the University of Louisiana. So I'm interested to go through the tape uh, from this year with LSU. Talk to a bunch of guys. We've got a couple more here. Film room recap. You teased it earlier. I guess you want to talk about Oklahoma left tackle uh, Anton Harrison. Yeah, and I mean, you did a great job summing him up earlier. He's just a a really impressive foot, uh, foot athlete coordinated steps, um, easily recovers, uh, you know, because of that athleticism that he offers. Uh, um, 6'5", 315 pounds, uh, nimble in his movements, so he can re- uh, recover, redirect, first counters. I like how active he is with his hands. I just wish that he was more powerful at contact. Um, he'll use that length to engage, but so, there are a lot of times the target just bounces off that reach. Uh, so the athletic gifts really help him stay ahead of things, and I think – will make him scheme proof. I think everybody will be interested in Anton Harrison, but um, while his feet get him to where he wants to go, his technique and the strength must improve for him to sit down, consistently control his target. So a lot of his issues I think are, uh, you know, you you could, you know, uh, chalk up to youth or uh, just, you know, bad habits that a lot of young players have. So I, I think that when you look at further development and his upside and where he could be with some more pro coaching, that gets you excited. It, all, it makes it tough to figure out, okay, what's the draft value? You know, is it mid-second round? Is it uh, third round? Is it fourth? You know, where where do you draft a player like this? Uh, maybe even higher than that. I don't know. I think the answer will be a little bit different from team to team because they're all going to see the upside. It's just a matter of, you know, talking to the line coaches and say, okay, what are we going to get? Uh, you know, how long is it for us to get – to that point with him. Yeah, I think he's going to be a fascinating player. I talked about him a little bit earlier. Um, Dan, I think we've reached that point in like the uh, the studying process where with players where, you know, we're getting into the all-star game circuit. It's a lot of seniors. So you're talking, you know, late day two, early day three, sometimes, you know, late fringe players, undrafted players. 
Sometimes you just like want like a, uh, a shot of like uh, a shot of juice in your arm, right? And so I was like, you know what? Mm. I'm going to watch Brian Branch because I hadn't studied him yet. The Alabama safety. He's an underclassman. Uh, people were talking about him in the first round. I know you were high on him. I know da- uh, Ben was really high on him. We've talked about him just like watching on t- I've watched him on TV, watching the Alabama you know, uh, Crimson Tide throughout the course of the fall, but hadn't done the deep dive yet. Dude, I, I color code my notes, you know, like blues, anything that's written in blue is a, is a mm. big strength. Anything that's red is a, is a negative. I've got one line of red, and that's that he's got like a lean frame. He's built like a corner. He's six foot 194. Yeah. Everything else is blue or, or, or black, which is, you know, not, not, uh, not positive or negative. Um, he is really, really good. Such clean feet. I love his play personality. He closes really fast. At first, when I was watching him, I was like, oh, like, I don't know what the top end speed is. And the more I watch, I'm like, ooh, there's an explosive move. Oh, there's an explosive trade. Oh, there, there's, you kind of see that juice. The more you watch, he can man up on receivers and tight ends. Uh, we talked about that, that play he made against, uh, against Ole Miss, against Jonathan Mingo uh, late in that game. Watch yeah. that game. Uh, so being able to watch that on film was great. He's got r- really impressive reaction quickness in man-to-man coverage. So he's got no panic to him. Uh, uh, I want to be able to see the games I watched. He didn't make any plays on the ball in terms of like uh, interception. So I, I'm going to look for that uh, when I make my second pass. But active blitzer, both inside, outside, violent striker, like a really, really good tackler. Uh, dude, I, there was nothing. I, I Like I said, there was no like clear negative to this guy's game. I was really, really high on Brian Branch when I got done studying him. Yeah. And you know, I watched, I like really liked him over the summer. My top 50 board in August he was number 26 and that felt like high you know I was, I was higher on him the most and then my updated top 50 board in November moving up to 20 um I mean he's he's the only safety in this class that I feel really strongly about uh being a first round guy and someone that could be a playmaker in the NFL and part of that is just what he offers as a nickel a true nickel playing that star yep. position uh and that's uh, that Saban scheme sticky in coverage uh, even though he doesn't have ideal size, you wish he were a little bit bigger, uh, plays with more violence than he has any business playing with, um, squares, drives as a tackler, uh, finds the football. Like you said, exactly. No panic uh, in coverage one-on-one. So I think a lot of that's going to translate really well. The coaches speak really highly of Branch as well. So, um, yeah, he's, to me, somewhere in that first-round discussion. And, uh, you know, for me, at least, the easy, the uh, easily safety number one uh, in this year's draft. Yeah, really, really fun player. I really enjoyed studying him over the weekend. Well, Dane, we've got two more players to break down. Let's go now on the clock with Gabriella DiGiovanni. On the clock. All right, so it's time to welcome in Gabriella DiGiovanni for our On the Clock segment where we now have a tie ball game after last week. Now, uh, Dane, you, you did say you would be shocked if Stetson Bennett finished in the, I believe you said the top four or five. He finished in the top four or five. He was out there in New York, but uh, your, your boy did come through uh, with the win. So Caleb Williams uh, gets you the win on Saturday night. Uh, but, of course, I got the win last week, and that's what matters as we sit here now tied up. Ella, tee us up now for uh, what we've got here for uh, today's topic. Yeah, it's a big one. It's a tiebreaker. So here in Philly, I'm going to tie this into the Eagles a little bit. We've seen more of a rotation on the defensive line. Veteran additions like Indomitian Sue and Limbaugh Joseph, they've kind of made way for other guys to stay fresh. So who in this upcoming draft do you see as a rotational defense alignment? So not necessarily your three down player, but one that offers the skill set that kind of feeds a very specific intention. 
Yeah, and that's the thing is that that allows us to go either side of the ledger here, right? A heavy run defender or a heavy pass rusher right. that maybe is a little bit light uh, to go up against the run in all three downs. And um, you know, for me, I thought that the, the first name I thought of as we were getting ready for this exercise was uh, Siaki Ika uh, from Baylor, uh, LSU transfer, former big time recruit coming out of high school. He was the number one player uh, in the state of Utah, Ella, when he was coming out of high school. Six foot four. 354 pounds. And uh, so he, he goes to LSU as a freshman, ends up transferring, goes to Baylor, follows Dave Aranda there. Uh, and this guy is just a house inside. He was second team all-conference a year ago. He was the Big 12 Defensive Newcomer of the Year back in 2021. That was his first year playing for the Baylor Bears. And when you watch this guy, I mean, he is a pure nose tackle. Uh, solid height. He has got a heavy, wide frame. And he is just a brick to move inside. He is immovable in the run game. He's got power to push the pocket. He actually has some savvy pass rush chops. I just question of whether or not he's got like that athleticism to consistently be like an ideal three down player. I think that some teams will view him that way, and depending on where he gets drafted down the road, he might be. Um, but I think that's going to be the question with him is the overall athletic upside. But there will be no questioning his or his ability to stop against the run. He is so tough to move one-on-one. -on -one. He is immovable on double teams. He's outstanding in the ground game. So for teams like the Eagles that like to play in some of those bare fronts, some of those five-man fronts, and then going to go to uh, you know more of those even fronts on passing downs, well, he's very easily he plugs in as a nose tackle early on the, on those uh, five-man fronts, and then when they go spread you out, now he's got the ability to go off the field and bring on more of your sub-rush package. Uh, Siaki Ika, this was an easy one for me, the nose tackle from Baylor. So uh, my, my issue with Ika for this type of role uh, is the price tag. I mean, let's say the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Uh, uh, they would have, what, the 63rd pick in the second round, it's a very good chance Ika doesn't make it that far. Yep. So we're talking about either taking him at 31 or moving up from 63 uh, to take him. And to me, I mean, that's just, it's a high price. And so for this specific role, I think I'd be fine waiting until the third or fourth round and taking a player like Texas's Keandre Coburn, who mm. gives Philly a, a lot of the same things that you're talking about. He's 6'2", 339 pounds. He's going to wow with his athletic testing at the combine. Good chance he's under five seconds in the 40-yard dash. Um, the strength is awesome. Wide bodied player creates knockback with just pure force. Uh, and, and now it's kind of a lot of what you're saying now, he, he doesn't have a pure rush plan, uh, to consistently win with his hands, but you know what? He had more quarterback pressures and more sacks this season than Ika did and, and facing a lot of the same blockers in the big 12. So an impressive athlete at 340 pounds, natural strength. He can make things difficult for blockers. Uh, so give for this role, give me Coburn because of his skill set, but also because of the value. I can wait on this position a little bit and still feel really good about the player I'm adding to my defensive line. Hmm. That was an interesting argument to make because I think it does come down to skill set, obviously fitting into the scheme that is in whatever city that that player would be drafted at, but also the value because it is how much do you value that player's skill set to not play three downs, right? I think that's um, interesting to think about because we're not talking about, uh, you know, a top five pick that you hope to see someday 
play three downs of football on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I think that's going to be fascinating just because we've seen, you know, number one, uh, the impact that Jordan Davis has had here uh, in Philadelphia here this this season for this defense when healthy. He, he did a really nice job, um, you know, in that role. And uh, as he's continued to come back from injury, we'll continue to see more of that. But uh, as teams around the league are starting to play with more light boxes and a little bit lighter up front and say, hey, you know what, from a volume standpoint, we want to divert our resources towards stopping the pass, that might put more value in those guys. And so the Ikas and the Coburns, and you start going down the list of other nose tackles uh, you know, in this draft, the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, a Zach Pickens type, and, you, know, you start, you start going down the list of those kind of nose tackles. I kind of wonder if those players will be viewed as more valuable. The Keanu Benton's from Wisconsin. Um, it's going to be a fascinating discussion here as we continue to go through the draft process. And interesting to see what teams are liking in terms of defensive tackles who are better at stopping the run or the pass, like uh, strong pass rushers because of what we've seen in terms of like a shift a little bit in NFL offenses this year and kind of hitting the ground hard more than yep. we've seen in the past five, six, seven, maybe even eight, nine, ten years. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the value that is placed in some of these defensive linemen. Agreed. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> she's basically trying to decide who she likes more uh dane or i because that's at the end of the day she's like all right yeah, who's got who's who's, who's gonna be le- who's gonna be more mad yesterday. at me <laughs> dane is a fresh face today <laughs> uh i'm gonna go with the cleanup dane he takes the lead nice drafts all about value right yeah yeah, it'll it, again. It'll it's very similar to the Jordan Davis discussion a year ago, right? Was that you know people were like, hey, like there's no question this guy is is so great at what he does. It's a matter of what it, what the value is, and clearly the Eagles uh, number one viewed that value as very very high uh, for what he can do right now, but also what he can be uh, down the road. And I think we're again we're going to have a lot of these discussions with a lot of these players. So um, yeah, a, a fun conversation. Ella it was a good topic uh, to bring up. Ella, Dane, we will talk to you both next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. What makes those great players great? It's time to roll up our sleeves and go under the hood. All right, well, joining us here for the first time this season, but a return guest to the Journey to the Draft podcast, Benjamin Solak. You could follow him on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. His work over at The Ringer, always must read and must listen to. Ben, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, Fran, thanks for bringing me on. Well, let's talk through this. I'm excited to kind of go under the hood here and talk through the wide receiver position. Obviously, players coming into the league from the college ranks at a volume that we have not seen uh, in NFL history with how often receivers are getting taken, how often they're getting taken high, but still doing it uh, with a lot of different body types and skill sets and ways they can win. So uh, I'm excited to kind of talk through this with you. And it's tough because of all those variables, but I will ask you right off the top, what is your non-negotiable at this position. It is hard to be a great wide receiver in the NFL without mm-hmm. this one trait. Uh, you got to separate. Mm-hmm. Now the word separate, we already run into a problem because a- NFL draft analysis kind of like in the media space and on Twitter trends toward, you know, the uh, NBA highlights, angle breakers, you know, uh, you know, send a corner flying into next week, sort of fatality, sort of, of route running. And we tend to think of that as separation, right? The ability to separate as, you know, the corner couldn't get a hand on me. Like I'm, I'm a whole stride length away. Separation isn't always that. Like, like it, it, it's, um, 
it's not a, 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 a thing where like getting that three yards of separation is really all that better than getting like that half person of separation. What it is, is you have to know how to get yourself, your body open on the route that, that that's decided on, right? Like a, a back shoulder route, for instance, doesn't have like separation in terms of like next gen stats, 0.27 yards of separation, but it is creating the throwing window. It's creating the place where the quarterback, if he puts the ball here, either I'm getting it or nobody's getting it. And so oftentimes when we talk about the ability to separate, we end up talking about, you know, the Jerry Judys of the world, right? Who just like have this like unbelievable footwork. They're great off the line of scrimmage and they're, they're snapping guys off and they're working into space and that's well and good, but separation has got a few different shades to it. And it's also got diminishing returns to the point where like, if you know, this guy's got crazy crossovers and he's, he's getting five yards away from a corner, whereas this guy's just in and out of his breaks quickly and gets one yard away from a corner. I'm still completing the pass. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still throwing into a window. I've still got the space. So separation is, is a term that I think it's bandied around a lot that, that has some misunderstanding to it. We got to be you, separate, right? And I think when you, when, when I go back and I look at the players that I've missed on at the position, or I look at the players that have you know been early picks that haven't necessarily hated the position, you just tend to see guys who were so good at being big, long, strong in college that they didn't really need to separate. They didn't really need to create throwing windows. And they got to the NFL, they couldn't physically dominate in the same way, and they had nothing you know to, to lean on. They had no leg to stand on. So separation, got to be able to do it. Yeah, and to your point that you made throughout that was that uh, there are lots of different ways to separate. I always try and break up a, a rep into three different phases, right? There's the uh, separation early in the down, middle of the down, late in the down. And obviously that that those guys that separate late in the down are the ones that we do have the most trouble with and trying to determine, in, uh, you know, hey, is this guy winning late in the down because he's got some savvy to him to create some of that late separation? Or is it because, hey, he's just bigger, stronger than the guy he's going up against in college and he does that time after time again. And that's not necessarily a skill that always translates, but uh, that's uh, to me is, is fascinating. All the different ways that guys can separate, and I think that's a really valid point uh, on your part. So, uh, with that in mind, you take the separation ability, you put that aside. What are the three most important on-field traits for a wide receiver, and not necessarily to be a great player, but to be an NFL starter, regardless of body type? What you can buzz through, and then we'll uh, we'll pick which one we want to chew on a little bit further. Uh, you got to have physicality. Okay. You got to have ball skills, and then you have to have an understanding of timing. Those are the, the things to me that when I look at how receivers are, are succeeding today in the NFL, and it's worth noting at this point, like the spectrum of body types and sizes, sizes, the, the, you know, slot inside, outside movement, wide receivers, like there's never been more ways to win at wide receiver. It's like one of the things that I think you've seen over the draft in the last several years is just every single year, guys like you and me tell the average NFL fan, Hey, it's a great wide receiver class this year. And eventually it's like, Hey, like, is this all going to be great wide receiver <laughs> classes forever? And the answer is, yeah, because college offenses used to take, you know, 5'11", 210 pound guys and put them at running back because college offenses needed to run the football. And that was how they moved the ball down the field. And then all of a sudden, seven on seven starts happening at the high school level. Receivers develop better. College quarterbacks got a lot better at throwing the football, the RPO, the screen game, the spread offense makes it easier to pass the football. Now you're funneling all these athletes in, into wide receiver guys who used to be cornerback sizes, two, two Atwells guys used to be, you know, linebacker sizes, Traylon Burks, right? These guys are now playing wide receiver. So the, the spectrum is so much wider uh, and, and that allows so many different body types to succeed, but you still have to have some degree of, of physicality. You absolutely hundred percent have to have ball skills. Otherwise you can go play defense. And then you have to have a sense of, of timing. You have to have a, a sense of space and timing and awareness of like the, the overall gestalt, the overall picture of the offense. 
All right, so let me ask you about the, because I want to chew on those first two, but I want to ask you just to expand the understanding of timing. How does that yeah. uh, pair with the separation ability? When you talk about like the spatial awareness and understanding where you are in terms of the route concept, uh, what, what does that mean if you could expand on that point? Yeah, so uh, let's take our, our track star receivers, right? Let's take our Mecole Hardman's of yep. the second round pick, right? Andy Isabella's second round pick in that same draft, ton of speed. What, what, What's what's the situation with these guys? Why don't we like see them becoming the Will Fullers and the Deshaun Jacksons? Well, like Deshaun, unbelievable ball tracker, right? Like he had that. Will Fuller had the 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 uh, uh, like the physicality of the catch point. Like Will Fuller was actually able to make catches outside of his radius. But what did these other speed demons do really well? Is that they understood how to change their pace, change their time, uh, change change the speed at which they were running generate that, that, that stack, right. Get on top of that receiver or get on top of that defender, excuse me. And then they knew their landmarks. They knew where they had to get and how they had to get there on not just their like downfield vertical routes, but on their posts and on their deep comebacks and on their slant routes. You have to have played the position enough, played receiver enough to, to develop the sense of, okay, by the time I'm here, the quarterback's probably at the top of his drop. So I need to be able to hit this break at 15 yards, or I was a little bit late getting off the line. They, 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 you know, they pressed me a little bit. So now I got to break this off a little bit sooner. So much of wide receiver, like it'd be great if you could just put track athletes on the field, have them run straight down the field. But we've seen over a long time, it doesn't work. And the reason why it doesn't work is because there's more nuance to getting into your routes, getting on top of a defender. When you turn your head, when you get your hands out for the ball, there's just, there's, there's more art to it, right? That's number one. The number two thing is that you can't really just put a track athlete out there and have him go on a straight line. You have to have him run at least some sort of breaking routes. And if you don't have that ability to, you know, get to that fifth step at that same landmark, you know, right where the quarterback expects you to every single time, quarterback's not going to trust you. He's not going to regularly get you the football. So this idea of it's like timing, it's spacing, it's it's a vestibular sense. It's not having a, a tunnel vision. It's knowing how your route fits within the larger concept, the route that's underneath you, the route that's on top of you, and the quarterback's drop, and where he's looking, where his landmarks are, where the safety is. You have to have like awareness, maybe is a better word than timing. Because mm. we when we see these athletes make it to the NFL and and, and like need gadget plays to succeed, right? Where they, they need scheme touches, they can't really like go and do the big boy wide receiver stuff. Usually it's because of lack of, of awareness. They just don't have the 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 mind for the details of the position just yet. I love that. And that's the thing is that uh, when you look at, you know, players like Devonte Smith here in Philadelphia, his, his sense of timing and uh, his yeah. sense of pace throughout the course of the route really shows up uh, on a weekly basis, just like it did at Alabama. Uh, physicality completely. All those all- Alabama guys, like uh, yeah. Waddle's so good at this. When Ruggs was playing, Ruggs was the, 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 Perfect example. Yep. Like a, always a speed receiver is a track star. Yeah, but he knows like where to be yep. and like how to get there and like the timing of it and the pace of it all. Like you have a sense for how the game is played. Yeah, I think it's a, a great point. And the physicality, I always hit on a receiver's ability to play through contact. I think that goes hand in hand uh, with that there. Real quickly, uh, and this one can be an el- a quick elevator speech, ball skills versus hands. How do you differentiate for our listeners? Yeah, so hands is part of ball skills, yep. right? Uh, so firstly, hands, catch football, right? Catch football with your hands, use the correct catch technique, right? Like you watch a receiver like DK Metcalf try to catch every football the exact same way, and you're like, DK, you can make your life a lot easier, just flip your hands. So hands are hands are a part of it. But the other thing about ball skills is judging the, the ball's flight in the air. Can you track and can you adjust? I brought up Deshaun Jackson. Nobody better than, in, than Deshaun in his heyday at seeing that ball at the peak of its arc 30 yards away and going, oh, I got to slow down now. You, you, how quickly can you find that ball, figure out where it's going to land and start to adjust to it? That's uh, another part of, of ball skills. And then a third part of ball skills is uh, how can you protect the football in the contested catch situation, right? What's your catch radius? Yeah. How well can you get outside of your frame, catch with your hands away from your body? But then how do you finish the catch, right? Like, uh, uh, 
this the idea of hand strength and arm strength and the ability to contort your body. Look at like the Devonte Adams catches last night against the Rams. Watch any T Higgins film. He get he, they secure the ball and then they pull it away from defenders. They they keep it to a, a spot where it's safe. They get it away from the ground. That may feel nominal. It's not. It turns pass breakups into catches. It turns bold and survive the ground throw the challenge flag into catches. Those downfield routes are enormously important. So when I say ball skills, hands are a huge part of that. But there's other things that go into that in terms of tracking, in terms of protecting the football, in terms of boxing out defenders. All that to me lands in ball skills. Ben, you've got a handful of years now uh, where you've been studying these players, projecting them, writing reports, coming out of college, projecting them forward to the NFL. When you look back on your evaluations at wide receiver, how have they changed? How have they evolved over the, the last handful of years? Yeah, when I get guys wrong, I get guys wrong because they physically dominated lesser competition, right? Like Eagles fans will know I got J.J. Ortega white side wrong and I got Jalen Rager wrong. Fan of both of those picks. And then both of those players struggle to stick with Philadelphia, struggle to produce early in their careers. Artega Whiteside was dunking on Pac-12 corners. JJ uh, Jalen Rager, excuse me, was running away from Big 12 corners, right? And and the the details, both of them had details of their position. Both of them had like an understanding of how to play, but they weren't complete, and and they needed development. When they got to the NFL level, they couldn't lean back on and rely on and, and and continue to cash in on the physical dominance that they had, and that kind of exposed the incompleteness of their their uh, uh, their resumes to that point, of their skills to that point. More the incomplete players have been in the NFL, right? Like you know, you, sometimes you're able to develop, sometimes you're not, right? Sometimes you, you you're good enough to stay on the field, and sometimes there's not enough competition. You have opportunities on a bad team, and you grow. Sometimes you don't, right? And then that's the nature of of misses in the draft. There's usually by hair's margin, right? It's razor thin. So when I go and I, I look back at players that I liked previously, players that I uh, I didn't trust as much previously, and kind of who I've been right on, who I've been wrong on. So often it's the guys who are really technically skilled, the guys who just who are going up against equal competition and finding ways to win a myriad of ways, right? Winning in different facets, winning on different routes over different areas to the field, as opposed to your kind of one trick ponies who are just a little bit better than all of their opponents at this one thing. And they should lean on it the whole way. Those developed guys, those, those uh, well-balanced guys, those are the dudes that I think tend to, to hit more regularly in the NFL and the guys that I've missed on previously. Sure. I love that. There's a lot to, for everybody to be able to learn um, from your own mistakes. So I'm glad it's a really good reflection uh, on your part. Last question for you. And this is uh, very topical because it was a big uh, conversation last offseason with all the moves in the veteran market. But when you look at the value of the wide receiver position, I feel like it was always kind of on the outside looking in from those premier you know, quarterback, tackle, pass rush, uh, and even corner to a certain extent. How do you view the value of wide receiver? And that is a, a layered conversation as well, right? Because uh, wide receiver one is going to be different than like a complementary piece. Uh, maybe there is a difference in terms of how you kind of value it. But overall, uh, how do you look at the value of wide receiver position, big picture in the NFL? Premium position, right? So quarterback, edge, corner, wide receiver. Yep. Got to have them. Like I think the, the differences in the Eagles passing game this year, let alone what you see, like the, the dolphins have been able to do with Tyreek Hill. Right. And you see the difference in the Packers offense with, without Devontae Adams. Like you need, you need a, a top receiver. You need a guy who you trust to get a bucket on third and seven. You need a guy who trust to win downfield. A guy can with the ball in his hands. Like I said, there's such a variety of ways to win. So it's not like, like Tyreek's not, you know, like, you know, moss a corner that often but he just wins the way he wins is so dynamic and he wins in a lot of different ways that you're going to be okay so you need that that star corner at number one you also need a second guy like the nfl is a three receiver league for for the vast majority of offenses so if you're walking out with kind of a stars and scrubs construction i think that's really hard to to be tenable on right like eagles fans ask me and she on our on our pod we've been asked like are you 
disappointed in the Devonte pick. He's not really producing that much. He's a top 10 pick. Like, you know, uh, is, is this like, was this a good use of the pick? Yeah, it was. You, you, you absolutely need that second target. You need that, that second player. And it could be a tight end. Right. But I think typically you like that at wide receiver for the way the NFL offenses are spreading out. They're going for more wideouts and because there's such a variety of ways to win. There's so many different guys you can find for that. Right. Like you, you, you have, the, the, the spectrum of wide receivers who succeed has never been wider. So if you're going into a draft and you're not spending, you know, some day two flyer, some round four flyer on some guy with height, weight, speed, some of Mon Ross St. Brown was so good, even though he didn't have height, weight, speed, some, you know, corner transition to wide receivers, some ex running back playing in the slot, just some guy's got something and you're, you're wasting your time because you, in the NFL, you're going to win through the passing offense. And if you're going to win through the passing offense, you got to have multiple receivers that you trust. So this, this is, this is the position right now that is growing the fastest, that is expanding the fastest, and that is seeing more and more value in terms of year over year uh, growth than any other position in the league. Wide receiver is as cool as it gets. And that's the thing is like, like the variety inside that position group kind of makes it fun from a projectable standpoint. Cause it's like, all right, like what boxes does this player check? What value does that profile bring to the NFL? And does that always mesh with how we on the outside view a player in a mock draft or uh, when we're saying, Oh, this guy's got, this guy's going to be a first round pick all day. And it's like, Oh, well, when you look at what he's probably going to be in the NFL, does that match it? Or can you find that kind of player later? Does that value always uh, match up? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. And that's, I think it's, it makes for a fascinating discussion. Discussions, uh, to your point, it's uh, it's going to be fun. I think those those conversations are going to continue to evolve, right? Yeah. The other thing, yeah, the other thing about this that I I've been noodling on, so I'm not sure if I believe this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The West Coast is kind of like dying out. Like if you look at target distribution and like how many teams just funnel targets to the top guys. Eagles are a team like this, right? AJ Brown, Dallas Goddard, Devontae Smith. As it, they they target their dudes yep. at the areas of the field they want to target them. That West Coast offense was spread it out. Take the correct matchup, progression one to two to three. Where's the space? If it means Peyton Manning's throwing to Austin Collie all day instead of Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, it means he's throwing to Austin Collie all day. Like that, it was all about like kind of point guard distribution. Well, NFL teams have become so good at opening up the guy they want to open up that now you can you can choose to funnel targets towards particular receivers, which really means now that like as we as we look at at wide receiver development, as we look at, at what wide receivers get drafted for, you can pick your guy. You can say this is we want you know, this point forward sort of body type. We want this like, you know, uh, long speed demon sort of body type. Those are the guys that we're going to get. And then we're going to choose to throw them the ball where we want to throw it to them. The NFL has gotten so good at offense and a passing offense, scheming it up for the dudes they want to scheme it up for yak monsters, deep threats, and yada, yada, yada. But you, you know, you don't, you don't need to have that whole, like, all right, we've got our slot. We've got our X. We've got our Z. You can just pick your guys and go. And it, and it, and it challenges general managers and offensive coaches to really understand who's going to succeed in their system, who succeeds with, with trades, so on and so forth. Yeah, and, and that's what makes, like, the, the complementary pieces, like, equally as valuable from a versatility standpoint. Because if you do have, you know, your A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith that you want to focus on in any one given play or any one given game, you say, all right, well, we want to move him into the slot to create a matchup. Well, that means that you need to have somebody to replace him outside. And maybe that's something non-traditional, like a move tight end like a running back you need to you could flex out and do different formations um, from different empty sets and move guys around you need everybody to be versatile or nobody can be versatile and so uh, it really is what makes this entire process fun Uh, and that's where the the, like you said the the team building and the coaching aspect uh, really kind of comes at a junction point there Ben uh, this has been great we can keep this going here uh, for another 20 minutes but really appreciate the time here on the journey to the draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.
All right, great stuff this week from Ben Solak, Dane Brugler, and of course, Gabriella DiGiovanni. We will be back later this week as we got more news. It's going to be a daily thing now, more news to break down. Ben Fennell will be on the show. We've got another special guest lined up, so make sure you stay tuned right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.